You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we read a book written by a very popular entrepreneur, Damon John. John rose to business stardom after creating the global clothing line FUBU. Later, he became a celebrity figure on ABC's Shark Tank. After looking through various book recommendations from our audience, we kept getting a similar recommendation with John's book, The Power of Broke. The book provides some great insights into Damon's life before FUBU and how he created the business, but the part of the book that we liked the best was his guidance and recommendations for people that are starting their own business. So without further delay, here are our thoughts on Damon John's exceptional book, The Power of Broke. You are listening to The Investor's Podcast, where we study the financial markets and read the books that influence self-made billionaires the most. We keep you informed and prepared for the unexpected. All right. So uh, welcome to The Investor's Podcast. Like we said in the introduction, we're going to be covering uh, Damon John's book, The Power of Broke. I personally really, really like this book. I'm not saying I didn't have high expectations for it, but a lot of the times when you get a guy like Damon, who's you know a very big public figure at this point, he's on TV all the time, they get ghostwriters or whatever to kind of bang out a book. And so I guess maybe that's why I didn't have very high expectations. I wasn't expecting him to have such input into this book. And you can tell when you read it that he had a lot of input into the book. and. It is such good advice. That's the thing that I think I liked about this book so much. It was really good. I'm curious, Stig, did you like it as much as I liked it? Yeah, I really liked it. Even though it might not be better to have no money than to have money, you can use it to your advantage. All the disadvantages that you do have. So uh, what we'll do here to start off, we're just going to tell the story of Damon John, how he got his background, how he created his brand and created his money. And just so people know, he's not a billionaire. His net worth is around $250 million, but we like him. <laughs> we like him a lot. So we think that this is going to be a good discussion. A measly $250 million. Oh, the poor guy. Tops. <laughs> the, poor, the poor guy. Okay. So Damon got his start. He was actually born in Brooklyn back in 1969, but he grew up in Queens. And as a young kid, he was always fairly enterprising. And what's interesting about Damon is he's dyslexic and he talks a lot about this in the book and how, you know, growing up as a dyslexic child, he always felt like he wasn't smart when he was around his friends and had trouble reading and all the the stuff that goes along with it. And so he found kind of his outlet to prove himself through being an entrepreneur. And he always had this drive to make his way and, and basically create wealth for himself. And what else I found really interesting in this book, and I didn't know this, is that a lot of people with dyslexia are entrepreneurs. And maybe you have dyslexia and you're listening to this, and maybe you're an entrepreneur and maybe you didn't know that. But in this book, he talks a lot about this idea. And I found that quite fascinating. In fact, I, what did he say? Uh, was it three out of the five sharks on Shark Tank have dyslexia? Yeah, it was a very interesting stat. Probably three out of five, yeah. And I, I don't remember which one it was, but he also talked about how immigrants were also, I think it was twice as likely to start up their own company. Because if you have dyslexia, you might have no other choice than to create your own path instead of following others' path. Yeah, and he definitely used it to his advantage. 
And I like the fact that he's so open about it. Some people might try to hide that, but he's very open about it. And I think that it's a very good inspiration for people that might have the same thing. Anyway, so he's growing up in Queens and he talks about how drugs were such a driving force in the community and how so many people fell victim to becoming a drug dealer in Queens and just that difficulty and that struggle. And he does a great job just kind of telling these stories at the beginning of the book. So anyway, you know, with all this going on, he wanted to be different and he found an enormous amount of inspiration from his mother. He only lived with his mother. His father really wasn't part of his childhood or upbringing. And his mother did everything she could to make sure Damon would succeed. And so she had him involved in anything and everything that she could possibly have him involved in to keep him away from the drugs on the street and just to really kind of nurture him and turn him into a great person, which he obviously became. And what I also liked about the story is his mother took out a loan against the house. What was it? seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 or something like that, Stig? Yeah. Yeah. Basically to, to live off, basically as an investment in him. She basically needed the money so she could be around him a lot more and ensure that he was doing what he needed to do is the way he kind of describes it in the book, which, I mean, that's just amazing. And I think it goes to, and he touches on this a little bit, and it really plays on the title of the book, The Power of Broke, is I guess his mother looked at their situation and she said, what do I have to lose? What do I have to lose? There's nothing that's more important to me than seeing my son grow up and be successful. And so I'm going to take out this money. I'm going to be around him more because I'm going to have money to basically spend and not have to be at work. And so she dedicated to her life and her, you know, not even her savings, but was taking out loans to nurture him. And so long story short, he starts looking at ways to start creating businesses and to start making money. And so he starts hustling, man. And he starts sewing hats. His mother teaches him how to sew. He has an interest in fashion, and so he starts sewing these hats and starts sewing his FUBU brand onto these hats. He also tells an awesome story about how you know when everyone in Queens turns 16 years old, they all want to try to go out and get a decent car. And so Damon was working, and he also worked at Red Lobster during this time, which he talks a little bit about his Red Lobster stories, which is really funny. And anyway, so he saved enough money for a car. And instead of going out and getting something that would impress everybody on the street, what he ended up doing is he ended up going out and getting like a 12 passenger van or something just ridiculous. And everyone is like, what in the world is this van? What are you doing riding around in this van? And what he was doing is he was basically acting as a shuttle service for people that didn't want to catch the bus and shuttling them around so it was more convenient. And he came up with his own route and he was making money off this van. And so instead of just spending the money, he kept reinvesting the money. And this is a theme that we see with every billionaire we study is they're not quick to spend the money and show off, hey, I I made 10,000 bucks or whatever. They're quick to reinvest the money so they can keep compounding and compounding. And so Damon John was no different in what he was doing. So long story short with the 12-passenger van, he's doing this and eventually the city finds out and starts you know, fining him. And eventually the fines 
started exceeding the revenues. And so he had to look somewhere else. And so he was already doing this fashion thing on the side as well. Well, as his fashion orders started picking up, his 12 passenger van really served him well as he was going to all these different trade shows with the clothes in the back because he had room to put all of his inventory. And so long story short, he continues to grow this business. He continues to plow money back into it. He talks about all these creative ways that he was marketing. And let me just give you a little hint at what he was doing with respect to marketing. He knew that if he got his clothes on rappers and music artists, and if those get on a music video, it could be huge for him. And so just like Nike did with athletes with like Michael Jordan and stuff, Damon John did the same thing with musical talent. And he started putting his FUBU logos all over these artists. And one thing led to another and it just created this massive brand for him. And I think in the end, they ended up doing global sales over $6 billion, which is just to grow that from the ground up in the timeline that he did this is just unbelievable. Anybody who's in retail, especially kind of creating your own clothing brand can definitely appreciate for how miraculous this is. So that's his story. And I'm really glad that he tells the story at the beginning of the book because I mean, I think everyone kind of has an idea of how he made his money, but to kind of hear it from the ground level clear up to maturity was really, really neat. And I'd say that's probably the first 50 to 75 pages in the book. And I really enjoyed the story. It was well told and a lot of fun. I love these stories. And it's easy to be looped into this personal story of this is how the best people in the world are doing it. And well, perhaps I can do the same. I mean, that's also what you think as a reader or what you can sometimes be tempted to think because, wow, how can Demajan do this? And you know, to some people, I think it's inspiring and to other people it might be discouraging because they don't feel that they have the skill set. So I really like what John did next after talking about his own story. And that was to tell the stories of so many other people and how they became successful in business and really had a very diverse selection of people and skill sets that led to that. But one of the stories that I really liked from his book, that was the story of Chris and how Chris utilized the power of broke. I think a lot of you probably know Damon John from the Sharks Tank, and perhaps you watched a few shows. And just in short, it's basically entrepreneurs who come in, and then they pitch the company, they pitch their idea, and then they look for funding in return for typically equity. And John talked about how he was often asked if they always made a deal on the asking price for the participants there on the show. Because it might seem so on the show, but he also says that after they do some due diligence, after the show, the sharks are allowed to change the terms. And often they commit less money for the same equity. Also, sometimes because some of the numbers that the entrepreneurs give them, that they can't really back it up with all the paperwork and there might be something there. But that was not the case for Chris. I mean, he was backing up all his facts and he was invested in at face value. And the story is really that Chris, while in school, he saw that more than $100 million annually in scholarship money would go unclaimed simply because there's no good match between the college and the student. And that's not because there are not enough students to meet the requirements, but it's because the process is tedious and it's not transparent. Preston is nodding. It's almost like he just had a 
daughter who just went through that process. <laughs> <laughs> so what he actually did in high school was he spent almost a year to apply for all the grants and scholarships he was eligible for. And since he came from a poor family with a single mother and two younger siblings, really there was no other route for him. And he ran into all kinds of issues, like the fees you need just to apply to the school. So it's, it's not tuition, it's the fees to apply to the school. That was hard for him. And you know it could easily be 50 or or $100. And these fees can be waived by the school counselor, which is a state rule in Alabama. But you can have a state counselor who can apply on your behalf. You can have some of that waived. But that was also something he needed to struggle with. So he was really in a catch-22 situation where you know, if he did this one thing, then there was another thing. The state counselor could only waiver it for some schools, but not for the ones he really wanted to go to. He ran into even more challenges that the family didn't have enough money for a computer. So they didn't have internet. So he went to the local library where he could get 30 minutes. That was all you could get for free. And he applied over a year on that golden 30 minutes uh, in the library to all these scholarships and grants. And Taylor made as much as he could based on his templated answers to utilize his internet times that were so valuable to him. And as the results ticked in, he realized that the hard work really paid off. He accumulated $1.3 million in scholarships. And I know it sounds like an incredible number, and it, it is. And as you can probably imagine, Chris became very popular on campus. And a lot, a lot of people wanted to talk to him about doing one-on-one sessions in terms of how he could help them in the application process. And he realized that you know, as great as it was, as rewarding as it was, it was also very time-consuming to do that for so many students. But in itself, it was a proof of concept why a new service was needed really to do this for, for people. So he went to a few guys and asked them to develop an app for him. And this is an app where you can you know, type in you know, sex, gender, race, education level, parents' income, and whatnot. And then you'll get a curated list of all the scholarships that you're eligible for. And it's unbelievable hearing this story. Like Scully, which is the name of the app, is firing on all cylinders here. More than 500,000 downloads. And he's talking to a state official about rolling out to all students in the state. And it's unbelievable, really. And I mean, this was all while he was a student. At the same time, he's been doing all this. So Chris comes on to Shark's Tank and he asks for $40,000 for a 15% equity stake. And Jim Ajama is so stoked. And Chris wanted to talk about like long-term visions and all that good old corporate stuff that they teach you in, uh, in business school. But John said, I, yeah, we can always figure that out later, which was actually something that really upset Chris initially. But that was not John's point about investing because he was not investing in the company. More than anything, he was investing in Chris and the proof of concept. You know, here you have this full-time student who still managed to set up this company and he still did his 500 hours of community service and had a part-time job to help out his family. And since the family didn't have internet, he still found, you know, 30 minutes at a local library, went there and applied for all these grants and scholarships and still got more out of it than anyone on the planet. So I really like this story because this is really the story of how you can invest in the power of broke and how it's the person 
so much more than the product or the idea that needs the proof of concept. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. And just so folks know, uh, in the book, when he tells this story, the subtitle is Look Under Every Rock for Every Last Dime. And, you know, Christopher Gray's story here is, is, in my opinion, just mind-blowing that you could not just apply, but win enough scholarships to go over a million dollars. Just, I mean, that is the epitome of hustle. <laughs> For anybody out there that says, oh, I don't have any money or my parents aren't rich, I can't go to school. Like, read this dude's story and uh, you might have a different opinion. Stig, we need to have a link to his app in the show notes, because I guarantee you there's people that are in college right now listening to this or parents that have kids in college right now that are listening to this. And I'm sure that that would be a valuable source for anybody listening to this. And you know, guys, the thing that I liked about this book is 
he tells his story up front, but that's just what, 20% of the book, Stig? 15, 20% of the book? Everything else is someone else's story. And what he's doing is he's showing you, hey, look at this person. They had no money, but look what they created because they were relentless and because they were doing something that they were passionate about. Like Chris really wanted to go to college. He wasn't going to let anything stop him from going to college. And so his story expresses that. And then not only did he achieve what he wanted, but then it turned into a business. And that's how so many businesses start is somebody's passion about whatever leads them into a business. Like, you know, I I hate to talk about ourselves during this, but like Stig, look at what we're doing. You know, we were just passionate about talking about investing. Like we could be paid zero dollars and we would still do this every single night because we just love doing it. Like it's just fun for us. It like, is just fun. We might not record all of it because it requires a lot of editing whenever we talk about <laughs> Stuck Fresno. But yeah, we did that well, before. I mean, before we started the recorder, we just talk about stocks because it's just fun. And I guess that's often what you hear like from these uh, successful entrepreneurs. Definitely not a category I would put myself in. Just, they created the product that they wanted or they just could not help not doing it because it was just so much fun. Lots and lots of editing. <laughs> All right, Stig, you had another story you wanted to tell. This was the tie guy or the bow tie guy, right? The bow tie guy, yeah. The story of Mo. And this is a hilarious story in itself. And I think we will include a video in the show notes of whenever he pitched his company to the sharks. I mean, and you see this 11-year-old kid and, you know, this snappy dresser. And he comes in and he says, I'm NBT, the next big thing. And, he, and, and he's cute. I mean, he's cute. He's not obnoxious. He, well, I guess he's more cute than he is obnoxious. And, you know, very, very charming, charming fella. And, you know, he started this company with his mom, a single mom. And she talks about how whenever he learned how to ride his bike in age four, he did that, you know, in a tie in a three-piece suit. I mean, what kind of kid would do that? And he was so frustrated because, well, I want to say even as a kid, but he's still a kid. He couldn't find any bow tie that he really liked. Uh, the colors were not in fashion. So that was actually one of the reasons why he started his own company, creating just that. And whenever he came on the Shark Tank, he already sold more than $50,000 worth of ties. And... He was asking for 15% for his $50,000, money that was needed for manufacturing because they had orders coming in or they expected orders to come in. And he talks about a marginal cost for a, a bow tie. That is 6 to $10, but we sell them between $45 and $50, which is an extreme markup in itself. And the quality is supposedly good. I know he's supposed to say that. But it also seems, at least to me as a business person, that the reason why they can charge that premium is also because you know he's the product, right? More than anything, he's authentic. Whenever you buy into the product, you support the little kid and you also support his mom. But then there was this interesting dynamic going on between the sharks. So Kevin O'Leary and people who follow the show would know who he is. He wanted not an equity stake, but he wanted $3 in royalty. For every bow tie that he sold. And then just for that $50,000. It's a very interesting scene. The first thing that happens is that Mark Cuban just says, horrible deal. No. (laughs) 
That's the first thing you see. <laughs> Don't do it. And you can just see this little kid. I mean, he is tempted. He is like $50,000. I mean, that's a lot. It was quite evident that he didn't want to give up equity because that doesn't sound good. And here was this guy who just wanted to give him money for future money that's not in yet. And he was kind of enticed by that. And then you have Damon John who swoops in and he talks about how he in 1981 was offered 10 grand for 10% of his company, which he was tempted to take, but he declined. And he also said that 10 years later, that 10% stake was $400 million. So John continues and he says that he won't offer any money because what Mo needs is not money, but he offered to mentor him for free because that is really what he needs. But there is one catch here. If he enters a deal with Kevin O'Leary, Damon John won't mentor him at all because that means he's not listening and that's what he needs to be doing right now. I think there was kind of a spat going on there between O'Leary and John, which was actually quite interesting <laughs> in itself. And what's happening is Mo's mom comes in and she says, we will take John's deal, not O'Leary's deal, because Mo is the CEO of his company, but I'm the CEO of Mo. And Mo says, it will go with, <laughs> with the mentor-mentor <laughs> relationship. It's a, it's a very, very cute, uh, cute scene, a very cute story. And one of the takeaways that John has about this relationship here now is that yes, he did that to help Mo. He could see a lot of himself in it. It was a very similar situation for him, but he also did it for selfish reasons. Mo could teach John about the newest trends in the fashion industry. And there was also a lot of publicity about it, which I appreciate John saying, because that's also what you're thinking whenever you're hearing that deal. One stat that I really liked he talked about in the book was he said that entrepreneurs who enroll in mentor-mentee programs, they have a comparable return of 106% compared to people not enrolling in these programs. And I honestly don't think it's because of the mentors. I think it's because people who enroll in those programs, they are ready to listen and ready to learn. And they have this mindset that if you think you can grow your business without growing personally, you will never be successful in the first place. So I think it was a very smart for John to say to Mo, you know, yes, I will mentor you, but if you're not listening now, you won't listen in the future. And I won't invest my time in you if you're not willing to listen and learn. It was just a great story. I would recommend everyone to, to watch that clip. If you're a business person or not, it's a very cute clip. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered, and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day, you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of The Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3500. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. So much of the time what we talk about has to deal with some type of monetary investment. You put $1,000 into something, and then you expect to get this cash flow out of it. And in reality, especially if you're a business owner, so much of success, in my opinion, is not in monetary terms or some type of financial deal. It's a lot of the time, the intangible aspects of things. And this was a great example of why he has become the success that he's become is because he wanted to help this young boy. Because I think Naturally, he saw a lot of himself in this boy, but more importantly, he knew that there was a win-win relationship here. And that's when you're doing business right, you're always looking for the win-win in the negotiation. And so he knew he could help this kid out a ton. And he knew that in the end, the kid was going to help him out a ton because this was going to give him a lot of publicity. It was going to help him in the long run. I mean, if this kid's doing this at whatever age, what was he, 14 or something, Stig? I can't remember his age. 
Yeah, I think he was 11 when he pitched this. It was probably a few years ago, though. Yeah, so, I mean, he was young. This kid's really young. Can you imagine where this kid's going to be when he's 25? And so, think of it from Damon's standpoint. I mean, if he nurtures this kid for 10 years and he's a total go-getter and he helps him succeed at at epic levels, I mean, that's going to come back to him in a major way. And I just think it's so important to understand the intangible aspects of things. And this was a great story, and it really kind of shows what kind of person he is. I just got so much respect for this guy, and I think he's doing so much good. So I really like that story. So for people listening, these are just two stories that he tells in the book. Every story that he tells in the book about somebody else's power of broke moment are equally good. Like You're thoroughly going to enjoy reading this book because there's just really interesting stories that he tells, and they all relate back to this theme of the power of broke. So this is, I'm going to start off with one of the major things that I got out of this book that I think is worth just the price of the book itself for people. And that's this idea that when you don't have a bunch of capital, a bunch of startup capital, Damon's arguing that that can be a very good thing for you. And this is the reason why. So often when a new company starts, the first thing they want to do is go out and get investors and raise money. Because if we had $100,000, we could then run a marketing campaign and really start to sell our product. But what Damon says in the book is, those are not real sales. Those are not reality sales. Those are sales like you're hocked up on a drug or something. Okay, Because once that money runs out, and that money will run out, that marketing money, What's left is the product itself. And if the product can't sell itself without the marketing money feeding it and enticing people to drive eyeballs to it, you're dead on arrival. And so by being broke or being in a poor financial position to grow the business, you are forced to be creative, period. You have to get out and you have to do things like nobody else. You got to learn SEO. You've got to learn whatever, and you got to start pushing things in different directions that are free. Here's a perfect example that he talked about in the book. He was trying to put his ads for FUBU up on billboards. Well, all these billboards in New York City were really expensive to do. So he's driving down the street, and he's looking at all these stores. And if you've ever been to New York City, you know whenever things close down, they put these like metal gates down in front of the storefront. Well, Damon gets this idea, hey, maybe if I went to these storefronts, I could convince these guys that we will do like a spray-painted mural or logo on their gate. I'll pay them just a really small amount of money, and then I'm going to put my FUBU on the gate. Everything kind of says the street vibe, exactly what he was going for. And for most of the hours of the day because they're open from call it nine to five or whatever it might be in the evening, he's got his ad right there on the gate that's closed. So that's an example that he tells in the book of the power of broke. He was forced to be creative. If he had an outside investor that gave him a hundred thousand dollars, do you think he would have been doing something like that at next to nothing cost? Of course not. And so for me, This is so important for young people that are starting their business, especially if they come on a windfall. You've got to continue to 
optimize your business. You need to continue to optimize the product and the service that you're creating so that your greatest marketing is word of mouth because that's what will continue to sell over the long term and not some short-term burnout. And what I find so fascinating about his advice in this book is it goes completely against everything that they pretty much do on Shark Tank, right? Like, I mean, the whole point of Shark Tank is they're raising money and then they're giving away equity. I mean, most of these people that go on Shark Tank, they just need to go out and take out a loan from a bank, right? Like if they have real sales, go get a bank loan and keep your equity. But that's what I found so ironic about what he's writing here is he's basically saying like, you don't need to do this. In fact, you'll be better off if you don't take the money and you optimize things because you're broke and you're coming up with creative solutions. You know, I found this stat and it's not from the book, but it might as well have been. And it said that companies who started during a recession are more successful overall than if they started during a boom. And you might think that that's counterintuitive, right? I mean, why wouldn't you be successful when people have more money to spend and you can find investors who can back you? And the reason is really that it's not the top line growth through the boom that will make you successful. It's the expenses that will make or break you. And that's why it's so important not to have money in many ways whenever you start. It forces you to be creative. It forces you to prioritize the scarce capital that you do have. And I think it also has to do with how you are building the culture within the company from the ground up is you have this bootstrap mentality. We don't have any money. So now we need to be creative and now we have to prioritize. And I think that the one key takeaway here, more than anything, is really to get that proof of concept. You hear all these guys coming on the show and they're sitting at home making all these revenue projections. And this is the price based on my Excel sheet that I would you know, sell 15% equity in my company for. All we need is Damon John's distribution network so it can be rolled out in all retail stores across America. And then you might get a $50,000 investment for 10% of whatever they're trying to sell it for. That's just not a way to spend investors' money. It's probably even worse spending your own time and money doing that. The way that John explains this is that if someone comes to him and says, oh, this is my product and I want to sell this for $50, you know, he'll get laughed off the set. But if someone comes and says, yeah, I'll sell it for 50 bucks, but it costs $10 to produce and I already sold 10 from the back of a truck close to a mall in less than five minutes, that's different because that is your proof of concept. And he says, if you talk to entrepreneurs, if they haven't been going out and gotten feedback, you know, doing sales first, then getting feedback, tweak their products, go out again, try to sell to strangers, tweak it again. If they haven't been doing that 10 times, then he will not back them. Why would you do that? Because you need that proof of concept first before there's any reason to scale because otherwise your business would just be built on a very unstable foundation. I think there's a lot of people that get confused on whether they need to move fast or they're just moving fast because they want to move fast. And so like if you're building something that's tech specific, that's going to be a game changer. And you know that there's five other companies all trying to create the same thing. You've got to take the money and you got to build this thing out as fast as you possibly can because if you don't, you're not going to get the network effect, right? But if you're growing something like Mo's bows, okay, his his bow ties. Is that something that he needs to move fast on? 
Absolutely not. It's his own specific brand that is, you know, has a story to it. Like that's not something that needs to move really fast. And so those are the situations where entrepreneurs need to ask themselves, why do I have to move so darn fast? And if you can't really come up with a good reason, you probably need to slow down a bit and try to build good fundamental protocols that optimize your expenses so that they're as low as possible and that you build a customer base that's based on true loyalty to your product or service. And when you do that, what you're going to find is that you're building a business with a solid foundation that's going to last any type of storm. But when you're moving super fast, man, you're building your business out of balsa wood and the pain train is going to come and it's not going to be fun. And sometimes you do have to move fast. I'm not going to say that you don't, but I, I would argue, I think that for most people, they can move a little slower than what they think and do things a little bit more methodical. But you know, it, it's really situational dependent. You know, you, you hear these stories about Mo, you know, age 11 and Scully in high school. And like, you, you feel like you're already behind, you know, <laughs> if you're in grad school, perhaps, which you're not. And I think it's very important also when reading through this book that one of the key takeaways is to get a job. And you might not think that based on the stories that you just heard now, but most successful entrepreneurs, you know, they didn't quit school and started their own business or just started their own business right after school, at least not full time. You know, they got a job and made money to pay the bills while they learned about business and life. You can always start searching for that proof of concept working from home while you have a job, while you're in school. More than 50% of the businesses in the US, you know, they're from home. And you don't need a fancy office to get started. More than anything, you need proof of concept to yourself and not to investors. This is a viral product. And if you can't make any sales of your product while you're still in school and while you have a job, it's probably not worth doing full-time either. I mean, look at Damon. He was working at Red Lobster. He was driving a 12-pack van and he was sewing hats together when he first started. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The grind and the hustle and the persistence for what he pulled off. You know, and he thought creatively. I mean, he was doing things that no one had gone out and done from a marketing standpoint, putting these jerseys and things on wrappers and like, you know, painting the storefronts. I mean, it's just amazing. The dude made moves. And I think he's a real inspiration for people, especially people that aren't going out and getting the funding. And I, I got a question for you, Stig. Why do you think so many people go out and want to do a funding round or want to do venture capital or want to you know, sell some of the equity of their business so fast. What do you think causes that? Because I have an opinion. I want to hear yours. Male ego. Yes. It's fun. It sounds cool. Sexy. Right? It's sexy. Yeah. Like, why do you want a fancy car? The same reason. It's not because you will necessarily get from A to B faster or you know, financially smarter. That's not why you're doing it. I'm not saying it's good or bad for you to do that, but that's male ego. Why is it that CEOs always wanted to do mergers and acquisitions? It's fun. I mean, you can look up on the table. It's not a good strategy in terms of growing. It's just more fun. It sounds cool. Isn't it something like 40% of all mergers fail? It's a really high number. It might even be higher than that. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think there's any like, if you look at it like across the board, 
more or less no value creation. All yeah. those synergies that we think of, you know, then something, you know, different cultures or whatever the reason is why that merger or acquisition won't work. But it sounds good. We acquired 300 companies this year. I mean, how amazing is it to say that? I mean, compared to, yeah, we had uh, 8% organic growth in my, uh, <laughs> my company. That's not <laughs> fun to say, right? That was your point too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for uh, Damon John's book, The Power of Broke. Highly recommend this book. You're, if anything, you'll just love the stories in it. They're very entertaining. I think it'll give you some ideas. And it's not a real long read. How many pages is it? It's like 250 pages or something like that. So it's not huge, but great, great book. Highly recommend it. And for all the different stories we were talking about, the apps and things like that, check out our show notes. We'll have links to, to all that stuff in the show notes for you. All right, guys. This was all the press that I had for you for this week's episode of the Investors Podcast. We see each other again next week. Thanks for listening to TIP. To access the show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. To get your questions played on the show, go to asktheinvestors.com and win a free subscription to any of our courses on TIP Academy. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making investment decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the TIP Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thank you.